are listening to Televisionary, the podcast about the shows that shaped us. In this episode, we take you through the lasting impact of Sex and the City with a few detours along the way. I don't know many women who enjoy puns. <laughs> Would you like to get into some of the many impacts that the show has had? I would like to. Do you want to kick us off? I would love to. Our segues are either really good or really bad. (laughs) I think that was a really good one. So the first one that we kind of want to talk about is how Sex and the City really showed women communicating with other women in a very realistic way. They talked about dating, sexuality, careers, societal expectations, double standards, all of these many things. And I think it is probably one of the first ways in which modern women were able to see themselves kind of fully represented on the screen. But the thing that I thought was kind of most interesting about this is that the main minds behind the show were male. I mean, Darren Starr, the creator and writer of the show, male, obviously. Michael Patrick King, who was the director for most of the episodes, is also male. And I did a little digging on IMDb. The show actually had a lot of female writers. It was primarily women writing on episodes. However, only 21 of the 94 episodes were directed by women, and there were no female cinematographers. So I kind of wanted to get this started by asking how you think that the male influence behind the show impacted the way the women were portrayed on the show. It struck me when I was watching the show that I would see so many male names attached to it (laughs) because I know like for sure if this show were made today, you would not be able to get away with having a male creator, a male director, male executive producers, and no women in those headlining roles, headlining roles behind the camera. I mean, like, the industry has just changed from an inclusion standpoint that they wouldn't make the show without women in those behind-the-scenes roles now. But... It, I do feel like for the number of men that were working on it, they did do a good job of actually representing the way that women live <laughs> and the role that they play in society and the, you know, different conversations that they have and the things that are important to them. It doesn't feel to me like the show is filtered through a male lens or or through this idea of what men think women do or what women talk about. I, I do think that there must have been enough female voices there that sort of corrected any of the male imbalances and made it as realistic as possible. It really draws me back to the episode we did on Mary Tyler Moore show, where that show was primarily created by men. You know, there were two men as the creators of the show, executive producers, but they did have a lot of female writers, which for the time was so groundbreaking. And it was the female voices that really allowed the show to depict a modern woman in Mary and 
other modern women like Rhoda and Sue Ann, you know, the other people on the show, I think that Sex in the City probably is a little bit of the same way. Like, just because there were men in the primary roles behind the scenes doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, also women giving their input and making sure that it felt realistic. I don't know if it would be any different if there had been a female creator or, you know, more female producers or female cinematographers or anything like that. I mean, we'll never know that, but it it seems to me like there was enough concern given to making these women feel like actual women. I, I don't think you would watch the show and think, oh yeah, it's just men telling me what women are like. <laughs> it, it feels authentic enough to me as a man. I mean, I think I primarily agree with what you're saying, but I did kind of go down an interesting train of thought when I kind of realized how many men were behind the scenes. It reminded me of this pretty famous article essay that had been written, I think in the 70s, by Laura Mulvey. It's called Visual Pleasure in Narrative Cinema, and it's mostly about movies. She looks like kind of closely at like Hitchcock films and stuff, but it basically boils down to like analyzing the way that women are portrayed on screen, but also analyzing the way that we as a viewer are exposed to those women. And she kind of argues that we essentially, we suspend our disbelief and we suspend our ego and we're able to really take on the gaze of the camera, which is often a stand-in for a male protagonist. But of course, in Sex and the City, they're all women. So you could think about it from the perspective of like the opposite, you know, of us taking on the perspective of these women through the eyes of the camera. But what I started to think about is like, we're taking on the gaze of the people who literally were behind the camera, the director, the cinematographers, and all of that. And I started to look closely at the characters in a, in a different way. And I think that there are some limitations to the way in which they were portrayed. They are, in many ways, still the feminine ideal. No one is overweight. No one is non-white. They are all very fashionable in their own way. Like, we don't see them with the exception of a few times and Miranda more times than others, but we don't really see them being frumpy. You know, we don't see that ugly aspect of their life. It is very much a glossy, glamorized version. And I think you could think about it as like, this is eye candy for other women to watch. But isn't that kind of perpetuating like the same ideal that we're showing women, oh, you have to be like this, this is what you should aspire to be. And even the characters themselves and their materialistic ways and the things that they want and the relationships that they crave. So I think in some ways, I don't know if it would have been different if there were more female minds behind the show. But I do think that the show sometimes and in some ways perpetuates this societal norm of how women should be and how they should behave. And you can obviously challenge that, you know, these women are very sexually promiscuous in a way that society doesn't always accept, but we still see them acting out these roles that women are taught to want. But I don't know, I hesitate to go down like the other path that I was thinking, but I think it's also worth mentioning that Darren Starr and Michael Patrick King were both gay men. And I think this could play into a point that we really want to talk about, which is the portrayal of homosexual characters on the show or like non-cis characters on the show, if you want to say it that way. But I wonder if their identities as gay men influence the way in which 
they created the show. You know, it's for heterosexual women who can really easily navigate kind of a dating world that maybe these men were never able to as easily navigate because they are not the societal norm. So that's a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and I don't know if you really have anything to say in response to that. But I really, I found the article very interesting, the Laura Mulvey article, which I would recommend anyone to read because I think it's a really good basis of like analyzing any show. And it was a really fun article to read to analyze this show because this show is so different from what she was initially writing that article about. That's interesting. <laughs> I um, was not aware of that article, but I might have to read that now. But I think you make some good points there. And it does make me wonder if there had been more women behind the scenes, would I have the same gripes about how the characters have no backstories? <laughs> you know, would there yeah. have been more intentional development of those characters if there were more women saying, hold up, women are more than just these archetypes, more than these stereotypes? You know, it, would they have been more fleshed out and seem more actually like inhabited as characters <laughs> if they had like more female input? Like, and we will never know the answer to that, but that's something that I hadn't really thought about until just now. So I'm glad that you offered those points that you offered. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, not to continue talking about it too much, but again, like thinking of girls as like a, a kind of a foil for sex in the city, I think there were definitely more female minds behind that show. I mean, obviously, Lena Dunham created it. I think that show is flawed as well, but I think we do see at least some of the norms being challenged in a way that we don't really see in sex in the city. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. So... Let us move on to, as I had mentioned, the archetypes, stereotypes of the four main characters. The show basically turned the names Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte into household names. It, basically, every woman in America knows what it means to hear, are you a Carrie, a Samantha, Miranda, or Charlotte? And the four characters really defined a generation of young or young-ish women, and allowed them to easily classify themselves based on their needs, opinions, and expectations. The show, I think, gets both a lot of praise for the way that it presents women, but also a lot of criticism for the way it presents these women. And I have to wonder, like, the show just kind of makes you feel like you have to fit into one of those four categories, or at least that's my perception of it. And any human will tell you that you don't just fit into one of four boxes neatly. So I wonder if there is some harm to the idea that there are only four choices for the kind of person you can be. And if you don't really strongly identify with any one of those four characters, do you feel like there's something wrong with you? Is there some kind of psychological component to watching the show that makes you feel like an outsider or makes you feel like you are doing something wrong or there is something wrong with you if you don't fill one of those four slots? Does that make sense? It does. It kind of makes me think about something I read about Carrie's 
<laughs> dress in like the opening scene or the opening credits of the show where she's in this like weird tutu which is very childlike and then the bus comes by and she's like you know her posters on the bus and she's all sexy and so immediately Carrie's sort of portrayed as girlish and sexy and there was a critique I read where like you know we're so limited and the way that we're portraying this person as only one of these two things that men crave and I think what's enjoyable about watching the show is sure like we all might relate to one of the characters more than another or we might taking it back to what I just said about Carrie some of us might be more sexy than others some of us might be more innocent than others but what is enjoyable and fun and what the show does well is that at different points throughout your viewing process you're going to relate more to one character than another and I think having these four characters as these sort of archetypes is that how you say that word archetypes that's how I say it. Okay. You have these four characters as these archetypes, but really all four of them are kind of present in all of us and we can all be all of these different things. So maybe it is detrimental to create the show this way with these characters and present it as everybody can only identify as one. But I think if you're a smart enough viewer, you realize they're all facets of all of us, even Carrie as much as we hate her, we all have a little carry in us. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's limiting to try to make it that way. But I also think it's limiting to critique it for that reason, if that makes sense, which I don't think it does. But <laughs> I, I just we don't have to critique it. It can just sort of exist as what it's what it is. I don't know. That's true. I do feel like there are there is a, an unreasonable amount of criticism directed toward the show for the way it presented these four characters. And some of it is warranted because there yeah. are some problems with the characters. As we've said many times, there is a general lack of depth in a lot of them. And I think that's my main concern with this particular question that I'm raising. These four women are really only ever shown as being this one particular thing. Miranda is the one who works too much and, you know, doesn't care about having a real romantic fulfillment. Charlotte is the one who only wants romantic fulfillment. Samantha's a slut. I And I don't use that in a derogatory way. I love... Samantha's my favorite character. And, you know, Carrie is the fashionista child who can't define herself outside of a relationship. Like, there are just these molds that were created for the women, and Sex and the City is not the only show that does this. Like, there are so many shows that don't have enough complexity within the characters to make them feel like fully realized portraits of person in real life. But uh, with this particular show, I think so many people identified with the characters that it brought this amount of criticism to it because it was like the show was only saying there are four types of women and you are one of these types and if you aren't then what's wrong with you i don't think that's what the show was doing but that's what the interpretation was by a lot of people and <clears throat> so i i think there probably are people who watch the show and think oh i've i've got to decide which one i'm most like and that's not fair and that's not 
healthy because you shouldn't be modeling yourself based on a fictional character from a television show but it does show the societal impact that this show had that people do ponder which of these characters am i most like which one feels right to me and you don't need to do that no one needs to feel more like carrie than samantha you know it i i think that's one of the weird phenomena that came out of this show really is this idea that you have to identify yourself or that you should want to identify yourself as being like a particular character when you can just be yourself and you don't have to define it in that way and that's totally normal yeah i will say just on a broader kind of feminist post-feminist anti-feminist whatever side of things that mary tyler moore was criticized for not going far enough to further the feminist cause. And I made the argument that at the time the show came out in the 70s, the fact that it was showing anything at all was progress. And I don't think I can say the same thing about Sex and the City. I don't think the show necessarily pushed the boundaries far enough for the time in which it came out. Now, the 90s were very different than the world we live in today. A lot has happened in a very brief period of time. But even other contemporary shows to Sex and the City, I think, pushed boundaries more than it did in some ways. As a show that showed so much sex and had so much talk about sex, it's easy to forget that in many ways it was weirdly still kind of conservative in what it was allowing these women to So I can't make that same excuse. I do think the show could have pushed itself, could have been more feminist, but it didn't. And what we're left with is still good and flawed. And that's really it. Yeah, I will agree with all of that. I think like going on that argument, I guess, of whether the show is feminist, anti-feminist, post-feminist. Honestly, I think, in my opinion, and I am by no means an expert on anything, any topics of feminism, I am the wrong person to be leading a conversation about that. But I feel like really that what the show does is present all sides of that argument, whether intentionally or not, you can find support for whatever you want the show to be. You know, there are certain aspects of the characters that at times are very feminist. There are certain aspects that at times are very anti-feminist. And there are certain aspects that are very post-feminist. It just feels like whatever you are looking for in this show, from any perspective of the feminism debate, you're going to find. In that way, I think it is realistic of the human experience and obviously i don't have lived experience as a woman because i am a man but it seems like the show again whether it was trying to or not is so representative of all women in some way that you can find what you are looking for in it somewhere whether you are a very conservative woman who loves charlotte and all of her traditionalism or you are a very sex positive woman who loves samantha and her lack of ability to feel shame about anything that she ever does you know it's (laughs) every place on the spectrum is there in sometimes multiple characters at different points throughout the series and that's i think is part of the brilliance of it i agree i 
want to talk about something that I think is the actual biggest impact that the show has had. Okay. And this might be controversial, but I honestly believe the biggest impact the show has had on our culture is on fashion. I agree with that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can see this show's impact even today from small details like the nameplate necklaces. I mean, I interact with probably thousands of people every day and I see at least a dozen of those necklaces every single day. But even more than the details that are still popular, however many years later, we have larger ideas about fashion that have changed because of the show. I think the mixing of high fashion and street style is still so prevalent. You see it on social media all the time. Street style is such a big thing. And even if people aren't buying the high-end like designer labels, they're still emulating that style of dress that is both upscale and chic and downtown kind of all at the same time. And beyond that, like beyond just the day-to-day like fashion trends that changed, the show has gone on to impact so many other shows in the way that they style their characters and the staff that was assembled under Patricia Fields. Mm -hmm. Is that her name? Field? Field. Field. So a lot of those people that worked with her on the show have gone on to style some other very iconic shows. Notably, I would say Gossip Girl is up there, which I never really watched and I don't particularly enjoy the fashion on that show. But I know from someone who is mildly addicted to Instagram that Gossip Girl is celebrated by many as a very fashionable show, but there's so many other shows that were touched by this one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And again, I am not the right person to be leading a conversation about fashion, (laughs) but it does feel like one of the ways in which the show was the most revolutionary. I think the fashions of the show, the ways that the that each character approached how they dress i think is so important i think each character has such a distinct look to them there are certain things that you know they would wear and certain things you know they wouldn't wear and other shows had done that before you know character costume design has always been an important part of a lot of tv shows but i don't think it had ever been as important as it was on sex in the city to be honest Uh, even though it's not like the costumes are intended to be costumes you know like these are just the ways that these women are dressing knowing how these characters would dress is such an important part of defining who they are and it's one of the few ways that this show really does define the characters. I think, you know, we've made a big deal about the fact that they don't have real backstories, but we know exactly what Charlotte would wear as compared to what Samantha yeah. would wear. And that's really difficult to do, I think, but it's also such an important part of the show's legacy and part of its continued influence. I think it pretty much redefined fashion not just on television shows but also fashion in the real world because there were these women who loved the way that the characters on the show dressed and wanted to look like them and wanted to wear those same brands that they saw on this show and like I 
I think one of the things that I saw when I was doing research was that Manolo Blahnik really became a household name just because of Sex and the City. You know, like, that's, it's so rare for a show to have that kind of influence in realms outside of television, I think. Yeah. I mean, for me, I always think about it from the perspective of, like, even if you didn't watch the show as a woman in America, if you're from, like, 25 and above in age, I think that your personal style has probably in some way been impacted by the show. Because I think even the people not associated with the show directly, but people who were in the media while you were growing up were dressing like the characters on this show. The people around you were dressing like the characters on this show. Whether you knew it or not, the reason you had a shirt in middle school that had a big weird flower stuck to the side of it on the shoulder is because of this show. It's totally insane and there's just so many details when I watch other shows that remind me of this show's impact. Like anytime I see a woman on a TV series wearing men's underwear as sleep underwear, I automatically think of Carrie because she always did that when she was with Aiden. And even just like the visible bra straps that are shown or like Carrie wearing a black bra under a white shirt, like these things are iconically part of our society and like our cultural history with the fashion. It's totally crazy and it's so exciting. I follow this one YouTuber who is super into like thrifting and like wears all of this crazy fashion and she pushes herself to wear things that are ugly and (laughs) something about that mindset of like buying something really bizarre or ugly. It just feels so sex in the city to me. I mean there's an episode where they're in the park doing a picnic and Carrie's in one of those like German girl outfits like you imagine someone like serving like big mugs of beer it doesn't make any sense but you see it on the show and it's fashion I don't know it's just so brilliant I think beyond fashion there are other things that the show influenced I know we talked about with each other and now we're going to talk about with you how New York City itself was such a big part of the show. And it's fascinating to me that this show was on the air when 9-11 happened and big changes happened for New York City. But I don't think you can watch the show. I mean, is it, could I argue that New York City is the most fully developed character in the show? I feel like that's actually a good argument. That's not something that I really thought about, but it certainly is one of the best defined characters, I would say, on the show. Definitely has the biggest history of any character (laughs) on the show. For sure, yes. Like, just the way that the show approaches New York, like, it's such a romanticized view of it. And I've always loved New York myself, but watching the show now, I feel like I have a different kind of appreciation for it, and it sort of made me want to live there (laughs) myself. But then I was also like, I don't know if I actually want to, because I don't want to be disappointed to move there and find out it's not at all like Sex and the City. But anyway, it, like, just the impact of the show on the perception of New York City by most of the world, I think, is hard to ignore. I mean, you have some 
companies that are offering sex in the city tours of Manhattan that stop at different locations that were featured on the show. You had Magnolia Bakery being featured in a single episode in season three, and it exploded basically overnight from this bake shop in the West Village that no one really knew about except people who lived in the West Village to this international company with over two dozen stores in seven countries around the world. You know, 20 some years later, tourists still go to Magnolia Bakery for the Carrie Cupcake, they call it. I don't think that's the official name at the place but that's what people ask for when they go there like that's it's crazy that a show can show a character eating one cupcake and then people just go to that bakery because they want that cupcake like it's the same thing with the fashion they want the looks of those characters and they want what they're eating too that is just mind-blowing to me it is really interesting something i just thought about now but in a lot of ways Mr. Big often feels like a stand-in or a physical manifestation of the city Mm -hmm. itself Mm -hmm. he's very representative of New York when he leaves that's the episode that is as kind of close to the show gets to addressing 9-11 it's what I Heart New York is the name of the episode I think so yeah so he leaves then and it's sort of this there's a lot of fan theories about this but him leaving is like a representation of the city changing because of 9-11 I mean even in the finale he goes to Paris to bring Carrie back home back to New York so I don't know it's it's interesting to think about it that way but other shows do this as well but I think Sex and the City really does it so well you really have this romanticized idea of what the city is yeah I don't know thinking about it now I'm like longing to take a trip there even though I've heard it's changed a lot this past year I'm sure it has yeah yeah it is interesting to me because I've Like, some of my favorite shows in general are set in New York, like 30 Rock, my favorite show of all time, also set in New York. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, another of my favorite shows, set in a very different kind of New York than Sex and the City. But, like, other shows just don't have that that quality of treating New York like it's something magical and aspirational that Sex and the City does. I I don't get the same impression from any other show that I've watched that, that New York is something so special and something to be treasured in the way that I that Sex in the City makes me feel. I don't know. It's interesting how a show can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty. So, one of the things about setting a show in New York, actually, is that being such a huge melting pot with people at all levels of the socioeconomic spectrum, people of all races, ethnic backgrounds, whatever, is that you would expect the show to be a little bit more culturally diverse if it is really reflecting the real New York City. And it is pretty darn white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's one of the biggest complaints, maybe, I guess, that the show gets is that none of the series regulars were anything but white. There are some racial insensitivities throughout the show. Like At one point, Carrie references oh, yeah. ghetto gold. At one point, during her cancer journey, Samantha wears a big ol' afro wig that is in no way supposed to be a Bob Ross wig. <laughs> um, it is... <laughs> it's 
pretty unfortunate looking back at the show now just how willfully ignorant of diversity the show was Uh, and it's actually one of the reasons why kim cattrall refused to be in the third movie or to be part of the reboot allegedly she just feels that the franchise has not done enough to incorporate and feature people of color and she even suggested that samantha could be recast as a woman of color which i don't think is a bad idea but it would just be so awkward weird yeah yeah i don't know i think the show missed an opportunity in a lot of ways with supporting characters i mean even if your four leads are going to be four white female friends you know there's not necessarily anything wrong with that for me because well I mean there isn't there isn't I think realistically we know a lot about how people socialize and there is a lot of research that shows people are often drawn to people of the same race and it has to do with so many different factors you know upbringing whatever like it it does exist it is a real thing but at least with the side characters, like, they're dating so many men. Like, there could have been more diversity in the men. There could have been other friends. I mean, that was something I wanted to just mention is that the show really doesn't have a whole lot of supporting characters. Like, there's a few, but there's not a whole lot. And you could have explored it at least a little bit through those avenues. Yeah, I agree that it probably would have felt less authentic if the show just happened to have one main character of color you know it it's always awkward to me when you have a show like uh, i'm trying to think of a good example maybe i can't but if you would have a show where there's just one black friend and that black friend is only ever seen hanging out with white people and they never have any black friends of their own like any of the black people that i know within my own life don't only hang out with white people like i might be a white person (laughs) myself but that doesn't mean that they exclusively associate with white people so i do feel like having one non-white lead would have seemed more like tokenism than anything yeah. than and than a true effort to really incorporate diversity in any way and of course this show is from you know the late 90s early 2000s where there was not as big of a push to really incorporate authentic cultural representations of people across media and so in that way it's sort of understandable why they didn't and also not to generalize but the lifestyles of the four ladies that are presented in the series are not necessarily accessible to or shared by the majority of new yorkers of color especially at the turn of the century like it it really would have been pretty unrealistic for the show to to present a person of color living that same lifestyle of going to brunch with their white friends all the time. Not to say that it didn't happen, not to say that there aren't people who had the means to live that kind of lifestyle, but it just would have felt less authentic, I think, honestly. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think, you know, what's the alternative then? You could do a group of friends where there's a white, a Hispanic, a black, an Asian person, but... Like, that works for a show like Community, where Mm -hmm. it's 
very self-aware and making fun of itself in a way. It also works for shows like Grey's Anatomy or Bridgerton or The Great on Hulu. Like those shows did a much more like kind of blind casting and two of them are historical Mm -hmm. so we historically are reimagining the way diversity may have been and it's just you suspend your disbelief and that opens up casting a lot more and I think that's really cool and I want to see a lot more shows doing that because why not I mean really it it doesn't matter and it can be a fun way to include more diversity but for Sex in the City like neither of those strategies would have ended up landing. Another way that the show did incorporate some diversity though, not racial diversity, but the show did feature gay characters with a lot more prominence than any other show really had. But one of the things that I noticed was that those gay characters were pretty often still relegated to the sidelines and not given a great deal of depth or character development. And especially strikes me that, I mean, I guess it's not that surprising because even the main characters did not get that much character development. But basically, the gay characters that are there are caricatures, more or less. And it does seem interesting to me that the minds behind the show, like Darren Starr, Michael Patrick King, were gay men. And they allowed those characters to be so shallow, I guess, and to have just kind of random flippant jokes thrown out about them. It does sort of surprise me that today people don't make a bigger stink about (laughs) some of the jokes that were made about LGBTQ plus people on the show, because a lot of them have not aged well at all, and I would assume that some people find them to be offensive today, but I had never heard of anyone actually criticizing the show for some of the jokes that I heard. No. And it it just seems like by now there would have been some woke straight girl who stepped up and said, (laughs) this is not okay. It's this show should be canceled, not canceled in like the the television sense, yeah. but you know, in the cancel culture way for talking about gay people in this way. I have a theory <laughs> about okay. this. So I think f- I have so much to say. So first I'll tell you my theory. I think that because people so closely identify with the four main characters of the show that the show is cancel proof because there is such an attachment that nobody wants to feel like they themselves as these characters have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> I guess you have to jump through a couple hoops to get there, <laughs> but I just think like people really see themselves as these women and because of that they they don't want to be criticized. Nobody wants to feel that way. Maybe that's a stretch. That might be true. That's not something that I would have thought of myself, but I'm not going to <laughs> tell you you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do also, like, there's a couple just odds and ends with this. One, the character that plays Stanford is played by a heterosexual actor, which I don't think would ever happen today, and brings up 
an interesting point that we can get into if you want, but we don't have to, which is like, should we only cast homosexual character or actors to play homosexual characters? And then you kind of get into the like trans mm, actors mm-hmm. versus people dressing as trans characters. It gets really murky and that's maybe a discussion for another day. The show is is so beloved by the gay community as mm-hmm. well, which is in interesting given the stereotyping the jokes and all of that it is kind of strange that like no one's mad about this but maybe that is a bigger sort of point about cancel culture which is that often the people canceling people as you said in your little joke that you made are just like straight women straight social justice warriors (laughs) if we want to say that and like the people that are affected aren't always the people who are getting offended by the content so yeah i think that's so true i think the jokes that are made about lgbtq plus people on the show are not done with any kind of derision they're not done from a place of hatred or vitriol at all you know there is a certain amount of love and respect for the queer community on the show that i think makes it clear that any jokes that are made are not at their expense but you know they're laughing with the queer community not at them so that's probably my reasoning for why i've never heard anyone actually get upset about it for example carrie in one episode calls bisexuality quote a layover on the way to gay town (laughs) which like i think all gay people know is not true but which someone who is trying to be a a good ally of the community would probably say that's not true and she should be ashamed for thinking of it that way and like the average bisexual person is just going to be laughing at that joke and not actually thinking that carrie bradshaw believes that you know Cancel culture is such a weird phenomenon of our world today, and it is so true that the people who you think would be most upset probably are not the ones, in this case anyway, actually finding any offense in what was said. I struggle to say that this show is presents the LGBTQ plus community in a negative light at all because at least they were showing them. You know, most shows at the time would not even put a gay character on TV. This was a couple of years, let's remember, after the whole Ellen debacle when Ellen came out as, you know, her as her character on her show. And look what happened to her. She lost everything. The show was canceled and it was not the time when people wanted to be kind of sticking their necks out for that community and sex in the city did even if they were you know a little more insensitive about things than they maybe should have been at one point samantha used some transphobic language to refer to the sex workers outside of her apartment you know that's not great but It was at least presenting trans people as not just, you know, having some sort of dimension. You know, she was interacting with them as real humans. And even though it was a debacle over them being loud in the street while she was trying to sleep or have sex or whatever, it at least spotlighted those people in a way that most shows wouldn't. And I think the quote-unquote problems with the way that the show treated the community can 
sort of be overlooked because of the fact that they were there at all. That makes total sense to me. And I think to take it back to what I said about Mary Tyler Moore earlier, where I felt like that show, at least showing it at all, showing women at all in the way that it did, was groundbreaking. I don't think that Sex and the City did that for the women of the show, but I do think that it did that for the gay characters of the show. I think showing them at all in the way that they did, sometimes problematic, but mostly with good intentions, that is was huge. I don't know. I applaud them for that. I think it changed a lot. Mm -hmm. I think so too. That's a pretty common theme with Sex and the City. I think the show really did break ground for a lot of different kinds of conversations and topics that had not really been seen on TV before and sort of opened the doors for other shows to follow in those footsteps and to have an even greater impact in certain areas in the 20 years since 20 plus years now since the show premiered there have been multiple shows that can owe so much of their influence to sex in the city and i think the show has put us in a a pretty different place in society honestly especially on television but it did make me wonder thinking about the impact that the show has had are there certain conversations or storylines that would happen on the show today that were off limits then. I don't know if we'll get any of these in the reboot, but I just wonder how Sex and the City would be different if it were produced for the first time in today's world. I think that a few topics would be included that have been sort of in the spotlight over the past few years. I think we could really get an eye into any sort of sexual assault or harassment that the women went through. Mm that we didn't really get, at least nothing springs to mind in my memory. I think also maybe there could be room for more of like a workplace, a a look at the workplace of the women and how they're treated there. But I also think that there would be different representation of gay characters. I think that it would be possible for us to see Samantha maybe not just dating a woman, but dating a trans woman or a trans man, like a transgendered person of either gender. I think that that would be where I could see the show kind of opening up if it were produced today. I, I It would be interesting to see how social media would play out throughout the show like maybe a sex tape storyline could be present that could be really fun Uh, especially if it was like charlotte or something like that (laughs) yeah i don't know i think there's a lot that would be included because i think that we as a society have opened up even more with sexuality and i don't know dating is so different now i mean online dating there's so much i i'm sure you have your own thoughts as well so i don't want to just keep rambling on but I keep thinking of more and more things. Mm -hmm. No, online dating and the whole app scene and everything was absolutely something that I thought of with this. Like it, as a person who is attempting to date in this day and age, (laughs) um, it (laughs) strikes me watching the show how different it seemed 20 years ago from my experience today. I think you basically can't date today without the apps. Like, that's just how you sort of have to meet people, I think. And maybe it's because we're still living in a pandemic that, like, that's really the only way to meet people is virtually. But I do think that the show, if it were made for the first time today, would 
come from such a different perspective of dating because I see things on the show, you know, as it was 20 some years ago and think, did people really just like bump into someone at the, at a restaurant and then decide to go on a date with them? Like that seems so different from my experience. And I, I guess that's just what you did back then because that's the way the world was. I have to believe that that's how it actually happened, but it, I do think it would be so interesting to see how, you know, people of our generation, Elena, would be depicted <laughs> as trying to date today. And some other shows have done that, but I don't think any of them have really quite encapsulated it the way that I expect Sex in the City would. Yeah, and it's very possible that we'll get at least a little bit of that in the re- in the reboot, I think. Especially if Big doesn't come back and we see Carrie as a single woman, it could be interesting to see her navigating online dating as a character who is portrayed to be not great with technology and also being an older woman in the show. It could be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see if they really stay true to like the original form or if they do bring in some of these newer kind of concepts. It could be really corny if they do, but (laughs) if they do it right, it could be intriguing. Another thing I was also going to mention is I think the conversations around sexuality have just totally transformed in the last couple of decades. So that I I think if the show were produced today, it would be such a, a different perspective maybe on relationships and sex within those relationships or outside of relationships. I just think that there has been such a cultural shift in what people consider to be acceptable and normal surrounding sex and, you know, the different ways that people express their sexuality, express express gender. I do think this show would be so different from the LGBTQ plus inclusivity perspective. I don't think that there's a chance that we would be having a conversation about whether it was problematic or not. I think it, you know, it came from such a place of love and reverence for that community that it would, like, they would know how to approach those topics in a more satisfying way, maybe, but also a way that was still probably groundbreaking. It's all conjecture, of course, but I feel like that's one of the ways that the show would be very different today. Absolutely. I would like to end on a question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. Okay. Are you ready to end? Yes, I am. (laughs) So, who are you, Cody? Are you a Miranda? Are you a Samantha, a Carrie, or a Charlotte? Well, as we have established earlier in the episode, every person does not need to fit themselves into just (laughs) one of those characters. So, I do not want to perpetuate the potentially harmful idea that I can only be one of those ladies. I mean, I'm not even a lady myself, so I I would be a male version of any of those characters anyway. But I think the character with whom I most closely relate and associate myself is probably Miranda, but with the pun-making skills of Samantha. I... (laughs) Cannot tell you how many times Samantha made a joke and I was like, I have written that same exact joke or pun (laughs) 
for I if you don't know I also dabble in some screenwriting as a hobby so if any of our listeners out there want to hire me shoot me a dm but anyway um like so many times Samantha just said exactly what I was thinking and I was like finally someone gets my brain the way that my brain works when it comes to making puns especially of a sexual nature <laughs> of but i i don't think that i share samantha's ideas about i'm not nearly as liberal with you know actual sexuality as samantha is in real life but i appreciate her <laughs> jokes <laughs> i wanted to say earlier that i think her punning is one of the ways in which samantha has like a very masculine energy to me mm-hmm. Because I don't know many women who enjoy puns, but I know a lot of men who love puns Mm -hmm. and love to tell them to me all the time. And I have to pretend to laugh. So that's fun. Are you (laughs) saying that you are only pretending to laugh whenever I make puns to you, Elena? Oh, I actually wasn't talking about you. Sure you weren't. (laughs) This is the beginning of the end. (laughs) (sighs) Well, I Um, know for a fact that a lot of people appreciate my puns, or at least that is what I tell myself as an excuse to keep making them. So (laughs) whatever makes you sleep at night. (laughs) I would agree with you. I don't think I'm 100% any of the characters. In a weird way, I do relate to Carrie, but I think that I'm like way more self-aware than she is (laughs) but I also see I see a lot of Miranda in myself and a little bit of Samantha's directness although I'm again not as liberated as she is but I can be very forward with people and have been in the past just not Charlotte Uh uh-huh I would say that me a couple of years ago was probably most like Charlotte um yeah, but I I can agree with that. I I think that I am I have had my own personal journey of growth that none of the characters <laughs> on the show did that have sort of brought yeah. me to a very different place, and I'm I don't find that I am nearly as repressed or traditional as I used to be in my thinking, especially regarding relationships and sexuality and all that. So I would definitely take like Charlotte's butt. it's pretty nice okay i can't say that Uh, i even (laughs) noticed it but every time i see it i'm just like surprised to remember how like big it is Hmm. anyway look it up good for her Um, (laughs) but i guess on that note we should probably wrap this up because this is possibly going to be a two-part episode probably going to be a two-part episode we talked for a very long time about this show and with good reason i think there was a lot to get into here and you know this is a show that has clearly had a huge societal impact and i don't think that that impact is going away anytime soon i agree so follow us on televisionary podcast on instagram if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to direct message us and we will 
you know, I don't know, take it into consideration. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if your questions, Maybe. comments, or concerns are of any value to us. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be the judge. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Yes. I've been El- Elena Hillard, and I still am Elena Hillard. <laughs> and I have been and will continue to be Cody Hoffman. Again, thank you for listening, and don't ever forget. I don't have anything to say. Uh, let me, I was hoping I would think of something. Don't ever forget that if your opinions don't line up with ours, you're wrong. Correct. Yes, that's a good one. And just like that, this episode is over. <laughs> Bye. Uh, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!